Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. All right, good day to everybody. Welcome to uh, another uh, Faith Seeking Understanding University Conversation. Uh, I am Alan Bevere, and I am uh, the self-appointed Anselm of Canterbury Chair of Podcast Theology and Culture at Faith Seeking Understanding University. We're all seekers are welcome to ponder profound things free of charge. And this is another episode of Calmly Considered. And I am joined by, as always, by Michael Cruz, who is the Grand Poobah Chair of Economics and Public Theology, also at FSUU, uh, our completely invented, unaccredited, uh, with no sports teams university. Uh, but where we just get the talk and think and reflect. That's just, you know, just the way it ought to be. So, Michael, how are you today? I am doing well, enjoying the nice summer months here in Kansas City. How about you? Yes, I am too. It's been really, really hot here uh, a lot, hot and humid, and we're going to get a break of a few days in the 70s, so we'll see how that works. I don't mind the hot, humid weather. I, you know, yeah. I, I just, you know, when it, I just think about uh, February in Ohio, and that cures me of complaining really fast. Yes. Uh, I, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, okay. A little sports here. So my Cleveland Guardians, we are uh, in first place ahead of the Twins yes. by one game in the AL Central, which I was thinking this morning. The AL Central Central ought to have as is its motto: "We are the AL Central Division. We make mediocrity look <laughs> average." <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, that, in, in, in other divisions, the Guardians would be so far in the cellar right now. Yeah. But um, boy, the, your your Royals aren't aren't uh, really doing well, well are they? 20 games under 500. However, I will say since the All-Star break and slightly before, I think they may be, I don't know if they're over 500, but they're right about. Oh, okay. They, they, have, they have righted the ship to some degree. They're in a homestand right now, and they're four and two on that homestand. Okay. Okay. So, so it's. it's and they have all these new rookies. What was the, yeah. we went to a game. I took my nephew to a game Friday night and of the nine players on the field, all nine of them had come up to the Kansas city Royals farm system. The, and all of them have played their entire professional careers in on Royals teams, except mm -hmm. for Zach Grinke, who was pitching, who had gone elsewhere and now has come back. So, and they are, these rookies are really exciting. So yeah. Well, in, in, yeah, and the Guardians are a young team. And, you know, I remember in the 90s, this is what John Hart did when he was general manager of the former Indians, is that uh, because, you know, uh, Cleveland, uh, and I'm guessing Kansas, Kansas City as well, doesn't have the bankroll that New York has. Exactly. And so, right. and so what, what he did was he said, let's bring up these young rookies, this talent, and let's develop this talent, and let's make the team good and win a championship before they get so good that we got to pay them too much money. <laughs> That's what the Royals did in right? 
14, yeah, 14, yeah. And so, I mean, uh, you know, when you're in a smaller market like uh, the the Royals and the Guardians, you got to if you're going to win, you got to do that, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, okay. Well, it's you fun. know, the good news for you, Michael, is football season's coming, so you're yes, yeah. <laughs> and uh, of course, my former team, the Cleveland Browns, it's a real you know what show over there. Oh, boy, is it ever! And what a, um, mess. What a mess. Just when I think it can't get any more surreal, it does, and. Uh, yeah. So I was thinking, I was also thinking about that this morning and thinking about the, I don't know what uh, the old Peanuts uh, comic strip. Uh, At one point, I think it's Lucy who says to Charlie Brown, of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. (laughs) Well, of all the Cleveland Browns in the world, they are the Cleveland Browniest. It's just just amazing what's going on. So anyway, so I'll probably be homeless for the football season, but I'll I'll watch the games (laughs) and enjoy it. I can yeah. always cheer against the Ravens and the and the Steelers, so that doesn't change. That's that's true. Yeah. So there's always somebody to be opposed to. So. Yeah. So yeah. who are you cheering? How are you cheering cheering for on Sunday morning? Who's ever playing Baltimore and Pittsburgh? So that'll work. Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. When they're playing together, that's really bad. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Now you do then. All right. Well, so let's have a conversation today. Our subject is Christian nationalism, Christ and Caesar. Really? So let's talk Christian nationalism. It's certainly been uh, front and center lately. Um, I think it has, uh, it's always been around, but it's front and center, particularly, I think, in this era of, um, you know, Trumpism, as it's called. Uh, and so let's, let's first try and get through the weeds of, of what exactly is Christian nationalism. How, do, how would you think of Christian nationalism? That's a good question. I mean, and it's and the, the name, I think, is a relatively recent development. I think more broadly of, of nationalism, well, contrasting patriotism versus nationalism. I think patriotism is just simply love of, of your country. There's and there's nothing particularly sordid about being patriotic. Right. Um, that's uh, we are people of communities. We don't yeah. just exist in isolation and we don't exist simply as the community of all people on earth. We have sub-communities that revolve family, neighborhood, those types of things. There's nothing wrong with having affinity for that. I think nationalism takes patriotism to another level, which sees nationalism as us against the rest of the, the communities, that we are distinct and we must main, maintain our distinctiveness over and against um, everyone else. And then Christian nationalism, to me, sees Christianity as thoroughly inextricable from national identity, that being a Christian of a particular variety is what it means to be a true member of that nation. Um, so that's how I, when I think of Christian nationalism, that's what I think of. Yeah, that's a, that, I, li- I like that. Um, and so, yeah, let's say at the outset here, just sort of jump on what you just said. We're going to critique this clearly. Doesn't mean that you and I hate America. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, I'm glad to be an American. I like being an American. Um, I think our country uh, has done some really good things. I think when uh, it's interesting when any kind of global disaster happens, whether it's an earthquake in Haiti or or something else, that uh, Americans really open up their pocketbooks, don't they, for that? Yes, they do. Sure. We're yeah. very generous in, in reference to that. Um and there's other things, but, but, but of course, part of love of anything means you're also willing to critique it and that you're willing to yeah. criticize it. And so, you know, when people say, and this comes from some of the nationalists, um, America, love it or leave it, 
you know, my response to that is that's not a very democratic perspective. <laughs> no, and, no. and by the way, it also says America, the America that I want, the America that I think should exist. That's what you should love. And if you don't like it, you should go somewhere else. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so I do want to make some distinctions because, again, as we were talking about before we went, went on recording here, um, when when something gets uh in the news and gets thrown all around, whether it's cancel culture or wokeness or, and I'm going to say what I'm going to say, what I said, I think I said the last time you and I talked, is if you want to know what something means, don't ask a politician because, <laughs> because their job, their job is right. not to clarify. Their job is to scare the bejesus out of us so that we'll vote for them. So, right. so don't ask a politician what cancel culture is or wokeness or even nationalism necessarily. Um, but what happens is, is that once that gets pulled out, then all of a sudden some people see everything as Christian nationalism. And we wanna be careful about this. To, to be a Christian and to love your country uh, is not Christian nationalism, right? And, um, you know, um, there are Christians who are members of the military who would not uh, fall into the nationalist category, and right. there are there are uh, there's an awful lot of Christians, a lot awful lot of Christians in America, who you know in general probably by the uh, very uh, uh, overarching theme that America is a Christian nation and and they believe God's blessed America, et cetera, et cetera, and they wear flags on their shirts, but. That doesn't make them nationalists either, does it? Right. No, right. It doesn't. Right. So, yeah. so we want to be careful about this. Um, one of the things you mentioned that I think we need to talk a little bit about, though, is that Christian nationalism conflates the existence of America and the purpose of America with Christianity. Yes. Right. And here's what I'm going to say that it actually makes America a rival ecclesia. That is, yeah. it makes America a rival church, that, that right. basically Christian nationalism doesn't need the church because it's got America. And then what the church, the church's job then, as Ben Franklin uh, wrote and, and said on several occasions, he thought the purpose of the church was to make good citizens. Right. Um, and in fact, he... Uh, <laughs> He, he writes in his journal, he spends, he spends, he comes back to Philadelphia and he's, he goes to a Presbyterian church. You'll like the story of being Presbyterian, Mike. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he goes to a Presbyterian church for three or four Sundays and he writes in his journal that he really liked, uh, he really liked the pastor, uh, the preacher, but he, he felt he, he was, he was saddened that it seemed that the preacher's intent what he was more intent on making good Presbyterians than good Americans. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. so, 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 so the purpose then of a church in a Christian nationalist perspective really defaults to um, uh, uh, lessons in civics, right? Lessons right. in good citizenship. Whereas, right. of course, when you read the New Testament, that is not the purpose of the church at all. Right. 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 The church is basically is serves as a, a critique, a loving critique yeah. of, of every culture of which it exists. Right. That, that's its mission, right. is to, to, to give that witness of the kingdom that is to come 
that stands as a witness against what currently exists. Yeah. And I think that so, yes, any any nationalism that sees its nation as the instrument of God and its constitution as a divinely willed document that if we all follow, the whole world becomes under God's rule. I mean, that you, you, <laughs> you've gone into idolatry. Yeah. because that's not what what scripture calls us to do yeah right? yeah i i have a colleague in ministry who i cannot name um, but but this colleague is now uh, uh has come into a new appointment in the methodist church and is okay. uh, dealing with a bible study an ongoing bible study on the bible and the constitution okay and it's very clearly um, meant to conflate constitutional ideas with biblical ideas and, right. and somehow right. how they, you know, and um, so let's, well, so, so maybe we should first talk about, you know, America as a Christian nation. Now I, I struggle with that for various reasons. Uh, and in fact, in one of my lectures, when I teach Christian ethics, I spend a lot of time on that. Um, it is my contention that America is not a Christian nation because to be Christian you, you have to really have, and again, this is Bevere's understanding of Christianity, but you would really have had to, you have to have, I mean, you have to have ensconced in your constitution, Trinitarian doctrine. You've got right. to have ensconced in your constitution, atoning death and resurrection, all right? right. In other words, right. in other words, you got to somehow uh, put into your, into your uh, um, secular scriptures, um, the creed, the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed. Right. And so it isn't a Christian nation when I think of Christian. However, having said that, certainly uh, many of the founders embraced Christ a, a Christian perspective in one form or another. Right. And so I, I want to say that America is not a Christian nation, but it is a nation that was born in the context of Christendom. That right. is where the populace was basically Christian in one form or another. Uh, and you and I both know that Thomas Jefferson's Christianity and John Adams Christianity would never uh, make it in most of our churches today. Right. Right. Uh, sure. Yeah. Jefferson, both of them, both of them hated the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, right. Right. Uh, and Jefferson called the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, a doctrine promoted by uh, snake oil salesmen. Right. So, so they don't fit that bill, but that doesn't mean they, they, they didn't have this Christian context and embraced some underpinnings of this. And so that's sure. why I say it is not a Christian nation, but it is a nation like a lot of nations in Europe reflects the context of Christendom. Now, what do you think about that? Absolutely. I think that's exactly right. That's one of the streams that flows into our national history, into the documents that we created. There are certain assumptions that are made about humanity and how humanity operates the um I mean, part of the, the founders was the idea was that people can't be trusted. <laughs> so that's the reason you had to have separation of powers. Yeah. You had to have all these checks and balances. And, and in some ways, that's a very sort of Calvinist uh, you know, uh, view of things that, yeah. that people are, 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 are uh, oriented towards sin, towards yeah. uh, corruption. So, yeah, I mean, there, there, are el there are elements that are there. But I think it's pretty clear also that there was not an attempt to establish America as a, a nation that was to enforce Christianity and to create yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that in the, uh, during the Adams administration, uh, when we were having trouble, the, the, our, our Navy was having trouble with the Barbary Coast. 
pirates, the North Africa, and a lot of them were being, a lot of these ships were being seized and the sailors taken into slavery. And part of uh, the critique of these uh, North Coast and Northern Islamic nations was that America was a Christian nation. And, and so the Congress and John Adams signed off on it, issued a public decree that right. America in no sense is founded upon the Christian religion. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. So when I yeah. tell people that their mouths drop open, like, really? Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. he did. They said this is not in any sense founded upon the Christian religion. Now, yeah. again, again, that doesn't mean there isn't that Christian influence, et cetera. Uh, right. And uh, in, in those kinds of things. Now, the problem, it seems to me, is it's one thing to say what you and I just said and to recognize that there are Christian there's a Christian atmosphere. Christendom atmosphere, let's say that, right. you know, it's kind of what's blowing in the wind, that right. that is what's there. But then, it, but that also, by the way, doesn't mean that somehow, and you just said this about the establishment of religion, that Christianity or Christians get somehow favored status in the country. Correct. The yeah. founders right. never thought about that. Right. Yeah. I don't, that probably wasn't on their framework. Most people, if they had a religion, it was probably Christian related. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think there was a lot of thinking of, of what there wasn't a lot of thinking of it. Of course, you had Jews yeah. here and, and you, you yeah. had Jews here and, you, and even a few Muslims yeah, and a few, a few Muslims. And of course, right. Jefferson, who was most explicit on this, talks about about that. It makes no difference whether his neighbor is Muslim, Muslim, as he misspelled yeah, right. it or or Hindu. I mean, he actually mentions a few religions, says this makes no difference. This is not right. Uh, not important. And and uh, so. So I don't think that they had this idea that somehow Christianity should be given favored status. By the way, to do that would be to establish a church, right? You know, right? Even if you don't, it's if, if, even if you don't encode it in your written law, if there is an if there is an assumption that Christians get favored status, that you've already established a religion in some way, right? Yeah. But you were mentioning Ben Franklin earlier, and I, I watched interesting uh, a documentary about. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, I think it was a PBS documentary that was very good. And uh, it reminded me once again that Franklin was one of the few early founders who had visited all of the colonies. He had been to all the colonies and saw what was going on and saw how different they were. Yeah. And yet he felt that they needed to be a unified uh, group if they were to to survive going forward in the future. And so therefore, his whole thing was about not trying to establish a religion because the religions were very different. How they yeah. came at Christianity was different across all these colonies. And of course, he himself was not a Christian in the sense that you and I modernly talk about Christian, as you're just giving examples of. And many of these others were not. So some of them may not, uh, there may not have been other religions that were present, but several of these people certainly were not Christian in the modern sense of it. And they yeah. did not want a Christian religion opposed, which would make compel them to be right uh, to live under those dictates as well right so yeah uh, there's there's this moment there's this moment that's recorded in the constitutional convention of 1787 yeah where where they're fighting you know they're hamming out hammering out a constitution that's acceptable to all the states and they're fighting over i don't remember what it is they're fighting over but they're fighting over something and it gets really contentious and franklin who as you say was not a religious guy right. uh who, who, I guess for the sake of unity, suggests that <laughs> that everybody pause for a moment, that they all pause for a moment and have prayer. 
Yeah. And, and so as the account goes, they argued for 20 minutes whether they should <laughs> pray or not. And then at the end, someone someone made the motion that they prayed and it, they voted it down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that almost sounds Presbyterian somehow. Yeah, it does, well, it does. Well, you know, well, you know, Franklin did attempt some a Presbyterian church periodical in Philadelphia. Maybe something rubbed off on him. Exactly right. Yeah, there you go. It's, so, yeah. it's hard. But but so so yeah. what what is happening that you know so so Christian nationalism has been around. It's always been around. Right. But I want to say that in the last six to eight years, it's it's Christian nationalists, some of them have not been afraid to come out um, right. in a sense, come out into the because they feel like they have a moment. Well, first of all, let's have before we do that. What are some of the reasons you think Christian uh, Christian nationalism has become front and center for some people today? What's going on in our context? Mm, this has yeah. reared its head, so to speak, and become public. Right. Well, I think Christian nationalism is looking backward and sees a idealized form of America. I mean, I, I've used this expression before. Conservatives want to keep things just the way they never were. Uh, but there's there's this sense of the past existing in a certain way, which was largely white, Protestant, um, and Christian in the past. And that was what made America great. Mm -hmm. There is always a sense of declinism. You, you'll find that all through American history, there's always some segment of the population that sees everything in decline. And so there are people that are that see America in decline. And part of the reason they see America in decline is because America is becoming less white. 50% uh, of children born today, more than 50% of children born today are not white. Uh, in another 20 years or so, uh, the majority of America will not be white. The Christianity is in terms of, if you measure in terms of church attendance and people involved with the religious institutions is in decline. So that, that is declining. And certainly white Protestantism is, is declining. And so there is a sense of, I think, a loss of, uh, of change happening. I think you can also see on the most radical uh, aspects of it on the left side of, of the political equation is this idea that America is fatally flawed and the idea of liberal democracy, L, small L, liberal democracy is not tenable. And so they are unwilling to support democracy as well and those voices have become more vocal in recent years which adds to the you know wood to the fire of, of this idea that america is the line and and there are people that have held traditional values that are the traditionally uh white protestant americans that they are going to lose power and that power is going to be uh exercised against them and so i think part of what it begins to develop is this feeling that the system is all corrupt, that um, we can't trust the power systems that are there. And it's clear that they're coming for us, that they're out to get us. And so democracy is no longer viable. So we need to get the power so we can be the ones in power to exercise the vision that we wanna have over those who uh, want to have power to exercise it over us. So democracy ceases to be a central element and the issue becomes about saving Christian America. The, white Christian America. White Christian America, yeah. yes. The white Christian America that existed in the past. Yeah. So Christian nationalism. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I think that that's, when I think of Christian nationalism, there are a lot of people, there are, I guess, maybe the best way is a continuum of people. I think we, we've talked about this before. Uh, there are people who I would consider patriotic and possibly even overly patriotic, but aren't necessarily Christian nationalists. Yeah. And, Fair enough. Um, there, but there are people, and you see this uh, rising in elements of the Republican Party and the Trump support, there are these people that have basically given up on the idea that there can be any meaningful sense of democracy, that it's a matter of, of getting power and exercising power to, to preserve what they think is America. Yeah. In other words, in other words, we want democracy only when it works for us. Exactly. Only yeah. when we get what we want. When we no longer are getting what we want, then, then democracy is itself corrupt. Right. Um, and by the way, I think, I think, I mean, it's my perspective when you see these, uh, Republican legislatures in certain states with these voting laws, with these yeah. voting, you know, under the under the ruse, and it is a ruse that yeah, we have right. to protect the vote because because you know we know voting integrity is pretty good. That voting right. voter fraud is very limited, very very limited. Yeah. yeah. But but what they're doing, what they really are doing, what they don't want to say, is that they're trying to make it harder uh, because because all the restrictions, as you know, and this has been this has been pointed out, is that this hurts minority votes. Right. And so that's yeah. what they want. Right. Yeah. Making, um, making sure that the right people, the, the making, real Americans. Yeah. Are making the sure the vote. real Americans vote. The, the, right. As Tucker Carlson likes to call them, the legacy Americans. The legacy which, Americans. Which is just a, such a, well, what first, I mean, first of all, that's just racist. I'm sorry. But yeah. Secondly, secondly, it just ignores that uh, there was a legacy forged in America long before the first Europeans got here. But, yeah, right. but you know, yeah. what's a, what's a, what's a little, uh, ignoring our indigenous sisters and brothers you know what so what what's about that um yeah so so by the way when people say to me and it's been said to me and you've heard it said i'm sure when someone says use and they're white and they say uh, i miss the america i grew up in this is exactly what they're saying now they may not know that for certain they may not be able to name it for certain but reality that's what they miss they miss the america where white europeans basically were in charge and calling the shots and minorities were here and they were free, but they were just kind of happy not having, a, they were happy even though they didn't really have much of a voice or much of a say. Right. What's happening now is not only are they having a say, they're gaining in in uh, in numbers so that what they say matters. I, yes. I, 10 years ago, I would have told you, Michael, I never expected in my lifetime for the Cleveland Indians, not only to get rid of Chief Wahoo, but to change their name. Right. I yeah. would never have said that would have happened. Right. I right. would have never said that the Redskins would get rid of their name. Right. I would, I, I would, and the only, and the only reason that has happened, it's not, you know, it's not some incipient Marxist wokeism. Right. It's because these organizations recognize that the tide of public opinion is turning, right. and that there are these the people who have been traditional minorities are are increasing in population, and and they are now starting to wield a little bit of power and they right. they don't want to be stereotyped anymore right exactly and what you see is a rear guard reactionary response to the fact that the culture has it has changed it's changing and has changed right and it's and in in many of these aspects it's not going back yeah. but the sense of angst and fear over the change i think is what drives some of these these extreme visions and that's what people uh, demagogues like Donald Trump are are so attuned to 
yeah. is those emotional feelings that people have. And he, for whatever weaknesses he may have in intellect and other areas, he's very uh, adept at tuning into people's emotional sense and being able to tap that. Absolutely right. He's absolutely, he's absolutely good at that. Yeah. Yeah. You had said something, you had posted a link on social media. I think it was yesterday that I also posted and it was either something you quoted or it might've been what you said. I don't remember, but conservative and liberal extremes are both authoritarian. Correct. Uh, But of course, right now uh, it's the conservative extremes that are, Front right. center. So right. I, I do have conservative friends who want to point to the, the liberal authoritarians on the extreme right, and to which I always right. respond, that's true. But they're really not running the show right now. No, they aren't. Right? They're, if if right. they were running the show, Joe Biden would not have been nominated. You know, and, right. I, know, and I know that every cons- Republican wants to paint every presidential Democratic candidate as, as a liberal and extreme. But Joe Biden is not. Yeah. Right. Right. If 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 yeah, the extremists right. on the left would have had their way, Elizabeth Warren would have been a nominee, for example. Uh, but anyway, right. what I'm trying right. to say is what I'm trying to say is to recognize here that yes, that the extremes on both ends have authoritarian proclivities. But right now, the real the real danger, the real threat comes from the authoritarians on the right. Fair. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think that's totally true. Yeah. 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 And I, I think the, the, probably the reason for that is that if you look the way things are trending, if you're on, if you're on the left, you can at least have the solace that it feels like while things are not where you want them to be, yeah. they seem to be more or less trending your direction in terms of the cultural institutions. Yeah. Even if the Supreme Court has gone a different direction, and you may not yeah. like the past president. The overall stream seems to be going your direction. If you're on the conservative right, everything feels like it's going away from you. And I think that's the reason the authoritarian impulse has become stronger on that end is that this this is, like I said, it's a rear guard reactionary attempt to try to preserve what's being lost. Yeah. 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 I I say to my conservative friends who want to make a moral equivalence here, I always say, well, when AOC uh, amasses her followers to storm the Capitol, get back to me. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, plain right. and simple. So. Right. Um, hey, right. by the way, I do want to make a quick point. You said conservatives keep things the same that never were. Uh, yeah. Want to keep things the same? Does that mean liberals want to make things different that never will be? <laughs> well, the, the one I actually heard that I heard years ago was conservatives want to keep things just the way they never were. Liberals are people with both feet firmly planted in the air. That was the. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now that we've offended everybody, Michael, that's this right. is good. Because here at Face-Seeking Understanding, when it comes to politics, we are an equal opportunity annoyer. So. That's right. <laughs> but, well, and, and, if, and if I could if quote a, a great musical lyric, which is off one I've said many times over the years, someone who considers myself uh, not aligned with either of the extremes is, Jokers to the left, you see clowns to the left me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. I mean, yes, that's right. That's right. Here we are. All right. <laughs> Okay, so um, so let's uh, sort of shift a little bit to talk about right. uh, the New Testament and yes. how this works as far as, because one of the things that I am convinced of, and I think a lot of people who study this is convinced of, is that Christian nationalism in its, what we're going to, I'm going to call its mainstream form, 
is clearly not biblical, not remotely biblical. If Jesus were here today, um, he would not have been at the Capitol to storm it. If Jesus right. were here today, uh, he would, in fact, uh, be needling the authorities in Washington on both sides to, with, to within an inch of their patience. You know, we all like to think that if Jesus were to come today, we'd all welcome him. And right. yet I tend to think that we would probably have the same reaction as the religious folks did in Jesus' day. Right. And, and uh, I don't think any of us would be happy uh, with him. And, uh, and I certainly don't think Jesus's vision of what he was about and his kingdom certainly did not involve a nation. It did not, an, a nation state. It didn't involve, in fact, in many ways, it didn't even involve Israel, right? Right. I mean, right. <laughs> yeah. right. It doesn't, and it certainly doesn't involve the empire. Um, and so this idea that somehow um, Jesus, well, so every four years, here, one of the things you hear is someone will say, and, and they, I, I know they do it to try to get above all the rancor of politics, Right. But they'll say Jesus for president. And yeah. I always say, even that misses the point. Yeah. Right. right. Even yeah. that misses the point because you want Jesus to. So. All right. I'm going to I'm going to say one other thing and then I'll let you respond. One of the passages of scripture that just doesn't get talked about and needs to get talked about is the temptation stories. Yes. In Matthew absolutely. and Luke. Yep. At one Preach. point, the devil takes Jesus up. And he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to Jesus, these are, have been given to me. Right. And if you worship me, I will give them to you. Now, in order for a temptation to be a real temptation, the tempter has to be able to deliver the goods, right? Right. right. If, I, yeah. if I ask you to do something and if you do it, I'll give you a million dollars. It is not much of a temptation for you because, you know, I don't have a million dollars to give you. Right. right yeah. So it's got to be a temptation. Right. We forget. And we also forget that in ancient Judaism, there was a strand of thought that said the Satan, Hasatan in Hebrew, the Satan was behind the nations pulling their strings. That doesn't mean that the nations couldn't do some good. That doesn't mean they couldn't be just at times. And in fact, the Bible seems to have an expectation that nations will act justly. Right. But let's not understand. Let's understand ultimately who is doing the bidding. Right. And we have just ignored that. Right. Um, that, that there is something about the earthly nations. There's a dark underbelly here in operation. And this right. is revealed in the temptation story. I right. do not know how we then can embrace a Christian nationalism that somehow said that, but basically what I, which I do is baptizes the unbaptizable. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and to, to piggyback on that. So Satan offers Jesus, the nations of the world. So why does Jesus reject that? Because he understands that this is not the effective plan that brings about the world that God intends to create. Exactly right. And there is only one way that that world gets created, and that's through the cross. Right. And that's, that's the reason Jesus rejects it. Because Jesus knows that it is only through uh, unmerited grace extended to people who are sinners by expressing love that then draws people to love 
uh, others to love themselves. That is where the transformation of the world right. takes place, not by having control of the political levels of uh, levers of power. And so that's what Jesus understands. And that's what the whole Christian message is. And that's what's wrong with the whole Christian nationalism approach to trying to preserve Christianity is that it does nothing to preserve Christianity. It torpedoes it. Yes. Because it takes away the, the one thing, the influential thing that Christianity has, which is the ability to transform through sacrificial love and through unmerited grace extended to others that then transforms them into people who do the right. same to other people. Yeah. And it's the very kingdoms of the world that Jesus rejects having power over that he right. has come to redeem. Right. And and so, you know, I, you know, for me, because I've thought about this a lot and it is, you know, Jesus gets offered. I mean, it really, I mean, seriously, uh, Michael, what's a little devil worship in exchange for the kingdoms of the world? Think how much good <laughs> you can right, do. Yeah. It's like, you know, if I win the lottery, so what? What, what, what right. you know, think of how much good I can do to right. with it. Yeah. And, and it's, an, it's a utilitarian view, right? The ends justifies right. the means. But Christian nationalists, frankly, would have taken the devil up on the offer, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Right? I yeah, mean, Jesus right. rejects it, and they would have taken it. They, they would have yeah. taken the offer. And this is the problem, because it attempts to define God's kingdom and faithfulness to that kingdom through a means that Jesus himself rejected. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and... And, and, I, I, and, a, and a parallel passage, the, the temptation passage is the one that I keep coming back to over and over again. Another one I just came across recently that I was thinking about was where people are making excuses for why they can't come follow Jesus. And he uses the expression, unless you hate your father and mother and come and follow me, then, you know, you're not worth. So the, the issue there that he's saying is that all other earthly attachments, even your family. And I think most people would say that their family is a bigger attachment than the nation. Yeah. That if you are not willing to put me above all other considerations, then you're, you, you've missed the point. And yeah. I, I think that that is, again, another way that it's just reiterating the same point. That first and foremost, you, you heard this thing about uh, what, what's the one that these folks are using? Uh, stand, stand for the flag, kneel for the cross. Yeah. I was thinking about that the yeah. other day. No, the issue is pick up the cross follow or um, pick up the cross avoid idolatry yeah that's yeah, exactly that's right that Ooh, that's had. my that, i need to do something with my uh series on deconstructing me yeah i'll give you i'll give you credit for it I'll give okay you, i'll give you a mention i like that because that that's also bothered me you know i mean i understand when veterans uh who have served faithfully uh, who have served their country uh, right. they get bothered when some people kneel and you know i always say so, you know, I have one friend who doesn't watch football anymore because of Colin Kaepernick and all of that. Right. Which I say to him, look, it's a free country. You're free not to watch football anymore. I mean, listen, right. you're, yeah. free, you're free to be offended and you're free right. to watch football or not watch football. But the reality is, is Colin Kaepernick was free, really is free to kneel for the anthem. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's right. free to do yeah. that, whether you like that's this is what, and I always like, you know, one thing I've asked veterans when they say, well, let him kneel on his own time. And I always say, well, what does that mean? Right. When, when would be his own time? Like you want right. him to put a flag out in his front yard and kneel while people drive by. I mean, right. I mean, the, the whole, the point of, the whole point of protest is you do it when it's, when it, people notice it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> right? right. So right. anyway, yeah. so I understand, I understand the vets who, who get concerned about that. I respect that. Right. 
Um, if, I could, if I could add that to that too, when when the events were happening and, and they were kneeling, you know, for the national anthem, I, I confess to you that I, I don't think it was the best approach for trying to make the case. And, and the reason is, is that look back to people like Martin Luther King Jr. They tended to, he tended to use at least the symbols of America yeah. and say they were good. They just haven't been extended far enough. Right. There's, you know, it, there was, uh, you had all this thing about freedom and it's great for white America, but when it came back for, for black Americans, there was a, a insufficient funds, you know, yeah. <laughs> in order to, to yeah. the right thing. <laughs> yeah. So the, the idea is, is that how do we extend the, the, the positiveness of America for all and the, the kneeling for the flag, uh, right or wrong, I knew would be taken by many as a rejection of America. And I right. don't think that that's the best way to try to build a way forward for the yeah. future. Yeah. So, but, I, but I also understand this. In what way could a Black person protest that a white person isn't going to get upset about it? Yeah. And, and I think that that's the frustration if you're African-American. Yeah. It doesn't make any difference what I do to stand up and say something's wrong here. You're going to find some reasons yes. to to nitpick as to why the thing I did was somehow yes, perfect. that's right, that's right. And, and so that's the other side of the yeah, that that that's exactly right. Well, you know, people have asked me when we get on this subject. Well, when you're at a ball game and the national anthems play, do you stand? Sure, I stand. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't have a problem with that. It's a sign of respect. I'm glad to do that. I just don't right. want to begrudge other people to the other thing, right. because I believe I I believe in freedom of speech and expression. And by the way, if I may say, freedom is a messy thing. Yes, right. right <laughs> because yeah. it means because it means I'm not only free to express myself, but I have to allow you the freedom to express yourself even when what you say I don't like. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. And and uh, so we need to think about that. Well, I don't want to get too far afield here. We're back on the New right. Testament on this. The other thing right. that strikes me about the temptation story with showing the kingdoms of the world and other things is that the problem with Christian nationalism is that it fails to recognize that the church is a transnational community. Yes, exactly. And that right. we we transcend. I mean, there's a uh, diagenetis. I, I never can pronounce his name. There's a letter by diagenetis who talks about the Christians, and he says that they live in every country, uh, but... And they follow the customs of that country, but every homeland they live, but in all their homelands, they live as foreigners. Right. And so, exactly. and so the idea is, you know, you and I are Americans. We live, follow the customs of America. We, we both believe in being law abiding as long as that law doesn't conflict with my faith. We right. believe in all of that, but there's something about you and I that just doesn't America being an American does not exhaustively define us. There's something more. Correct. And there is something that puts me and you in commonality with Christians in other countries Correct. that I don't have with non-Christians in this country. Yes. Right. right? That, that, yeah. that there is something that transcends all of this. And what Christian and, and by the way, the other thing is I know many Christian nationalists who are all for bringing Jesus to the world. And of course, that's the, that's what they think when they think of Christianity being global. Right. But this isn't just some disembodied gospel proclamation. Right. There, there's something about this that we, we are transnational and that uh, Christian nationalism just completely undercuts the global 
the globalism of the church. Right. right? Yes, exactly. Make, make, wraps up your identity in the nation as opposed to the kingdom of God. Right. Yeah. Which right. is why, which is why I dislike America first. I, yeah. I don't, I, I don't think our, I obviously don't think our politicians should ignore America. I mean, we vote right. up yeah. for them hoping right. that they'll, they'll act in, in, in the best interest for the common good. But right. America first sounds to me like America only for some people, it's America only. Right. Uh, for others, it's America favored in a way that I just don't think the church can embrace because it, it, it matters to me. You know, when, when we invaded Iraq in 2003, 2002, whenever that was, uh, the church in Iraq, you know, a couple uh, 1.2 or 3 million or something like that Christians. And the Iraq war devastated the church community there. I mean, right. it's, a, it's a shell of its former self. Did any Christians in America say, you know, if we do this, what's going to happen to our sisters and brothers? Right. right? Nobody thought that. We, and by the right. way, I'm going to be the first to tell you, I didn't think that either. Yeah. So I'm not pointing fingers here, but we should have first, we as believers, Christians who are transnational, should the first thing we should have said is if our country does this, what is the fallout for our sisters and brothers in the faith over there? Right. Right. It has consequences. I think there's just also the the challenge that and this is one of the things I go to in my mind. It's so so I can hear somebody listening to this conversation and saying, oh, so you're saying that America should just abandon all of its interests and and just do whatever's right for everybody else. And we'll you know, just let's just throw our borders wide open and let everybody come in and we'll not have any you know rules or laws or anything because we don't want to uh, exclude anybody. And. I think that that's, that's obviously the extreme, you know, criticism that's, that's being given, but it does raise a, a tricky point that I think mm -hmm. Christian ethics has to reflect on. And that is that I think as individuals, we are embedded in families yeah. and then families are embedded in communities and communities are embedded in larger communities. And, and there is a sense in which you do have a prior responsibility to those closest to you to mm -hmm. to take care of each other i mean what's the passage where where uh, jesus is criticizing some of the religious leaders where they said they've declared all their wealth corban so that yeah. uh, they don't have to take care of their their parents and their right. you know whoever's there there's this idea that you do have a commitment to those who are fellow members of the community that you're in yeah but that has to be an enlightened commitment to those that is informed by this transnational uh, Christian perspective of being in community with the, with others around the world, yeah. that, that you have that connection. And so, and that's, that's not a, an easy formula that, yeah. that you just lay out as to what that is. I think it requires some reflection and some balance. So I, I, I do not like the idea of America first. I do think that it's appropriate that nations look to their people that they are representing and, and how can they take care of them well while also being productive members of a global community. Um, so I think that that's, and where the balance is, is, is reasonable people can disagree about that. Well, as, I, as they say, the devil is in the details. And, and look, yeah. I, I, and I agree with that completely. I, I'm, what I'm doing is, is trying to look say we need to see the complexity of these situations. They're right. not simple. So I, I understand the tensions that we're yeah. in.
Right. So, so, but, I, but I, I want us to be able to ask that question. I want us exactly. to be able to ask at that point, okay, in the midst of the, in the midst of this mix that we're talking about with Iraq, what are, what's going to be the fallout for our brothers and sisters over there? We need to think right. about this. So I, right. I mean, I get what I'm trying to do is call for a deeper, more complex conversation. And by the Absolutely. way, I, I do have to tell you, yeah. When when someone says to me, for example, I do believe in generous immigration. I do. I I, I yeah. think immigration right. makes us better. Right. But whenever I get into this conversation, I always can have. I always count on a couple of people saying, "Oh, well, you want open borders." To which I say, yeah. "When you want to be a serious thinker, come back and talk right. to me." Right. Because exactly. I'm not going to respond to this this extreme nonsense of you know right. I want open borders or I yeah. want this you know I want that and. You know, be a ser- if you can be a serious thinker and nuanced, let's yep. have the conversation. But I'm not going to entertain that kind of nonsense. I just right. I don't have enough. I don't know if years left to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's the point in trying to have a conversation with somebody who is interested in a conversation? I mean, that's- well, well, that's exactly right. And it becomes, yeah. by the way, it just becomes a way to end the conversation and dismiss people you disagree with. Right? That's right. that and labeling and other things. Right. Um. Yeah, I, I, I just think that um, uh, the vision of Jesus just precludes this kind of uh, uh, seeing America as somehow unique. By the way, I've said before that if you want to talk about a Christian nation, the only Christian nation that's ever existed is called the church. Yeah, right. It's, it doesn't have geographical borders. Uh, it's made up of local congregations, many of whom aren't really right. connected or talking to each right. other. Right. Yeah. Um, but the fact of the matter is, if you want a Christian nation, if you want to want to find an organization, a place that puts Jesus in, really does try to put Jesus in the center, and live within Jesus's vision, it's the church. Yeah. And so, right. so the church is really. I, I've always uh, tongue in cheek said that every time I have to fill out a form for something. And it says nationality. I'm half tempted to put down church <laughs> to see what the see what the response is. But but that is my first loyalty because, by the way, it is in the church on earth where the kingdom is expressed. Right uh, on earth. Yeah, and I, I think I mentioned this in one of our earlier conversations we had. But I, I think it was Scott McKnight who talks about um, the idea of viewing the kingdom of God as having embassies and ambassadors. In every nation of the world, each church effectively is an embassy, yeah. and its members are ambassadors. Yeah, and Great. they are there to represent that kingdom to that location. So that they are there; they're a part of the community. They are looking for the good of the community they are in, but that's not where their citizenship is. That's right. And that, and so I think that that perspective helps me often think about what is my role in a given culture. I'm to participate in that culture. I'm to seek for its good, but that's not where the ultimate loyalties are to lie yeah that's a great that's a great uh, uh analogy it's a great image i like that a lot and by the way paul talks use the uses the ambassador language doesn't he? right um yeah okay michael what else anything else we want to say here for the good of the order well i, I enjoyed the conversation i think this is a a challenging one because there's there are people who are on continuums and like, as you said it's easy to to exaggerate and to uh, cast Anybody who says anything that you disagree with in the most negative light, yeah. uh, because I I value I value being an American. I do think America has been special in world history. I think the the uh, initial idea that uh, every white man uh, 
should be able to have the right to vote was very novel at the mm -hmm. time that it did. And there are things in our constitution and our culture that then uh, created the opportunity for a peaceful expansion and inclusion of that type of participation in America. And so what I, when I stand up and I sing the national anthem, I am positive about America, not because of what it is now and what it has been in the past, but because of its aspiration of yeah. what it says it wants to be in the future. And I'm, I'm on board for that aspiration. Yeah. And unfortunately, this idea of a America first that is uh, using America to, to um, impose a particular version of Christianity on America is counter to what I understand that aspiration of America to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that's how I would kind of sum up yeah. my my look on this. I love America. I'm patriotic about America. My my ancestors, my great grandmother Cruz ancestors go back to Mayflower. I'm descended from eight different Mayflower yeah. people. I've got people in the revolution, civil war. Very proud of that that history that is there. But my ultimate loyalty, my ultimate citizenship is not here and with America. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I wholeheartedly concur with that. And I do think actually this kind of nationalism that wants to uh, make central, again, I'm going to use Tucker Carlson's, because I, I think Carlson, frankly, is the most dangerous snake oil salesman in America right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Who talks about legacy voters. And, and um, uh, I think they call this conservative. It's not conservative. It's regressive. It's not. This is regressive. Yes, Yes, it um, is because there are there are true conservatives that are are just disdain this and rightly so. Yeah. And I, I put this right. why I continue to say that what is going on right now right. in this authoritarian populism is not right. conservative. It is not exactly. conservative. Um, you Preach. know, my great grandparents came over from Italy and Sicily at the turn of the twentieth century, and my great grandfather, I still remember him telling me a story. He was in his nineties at the time. And that they were coming on the boat, coming over to, to America. And for off in the distance, they got to, to the New York coast. They could see the Statue of Liberty and the whole boat just erupted in, in Italian. Liberté, liberté. Yeah. You know, and this is that's a moving story. You know, yeah. it moves me. It yeah. And and so, you know, I embrace that. And so I do. I agree. I, I think I think we should commend America when it does what it when it does well, by the way. We built, we rebuilt Europe after the Second World War, yeah. <laughs> right? We did the Marshall yeah, right. Plan, right? Yeah, I think right. that's one of the greatest things our country did was right. rebuild Europe after the Second World War when we could have told right. them they were on their own, right? right? Exactly. Right. Well, we understood that for a stable world order, we had to rebuild it, right? Um, and so, you know, there are great things that we've done, but I'm not going to hesitate to criticize and be serious when. When I do that, and I do that as a Christian, and part of being part of holding fellow Christians accountable is uh, don't don't twist this wonderful faith that we have into something for your own selfish, self-centered ends. Right. Don't do right. it. Yeah. So, all right, Absolutely. Michael. Good conversation as always. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you. And yeah. uh, I, you know, you've been posting you've been posting on social media about barbecue. So you just lately. I, I we had one barbecue place in Ashland here that was yeah. really good, and right. COVID just COVID just did them in, right. and they had to close down. And boy, I'll tell you what, I haven't had a good barbecue since then. So, well, I I have to tell you that just about six blocks from my house, there's a, a building used to be Old International House of Pancakes, yeah. and it was a couple of 
things after that. It's been closed yeah. for a while. And yeah. I now see a big banner outside. Yeah. I don't know that name of it, but it's a barbecue place that's getting ready to open right there. Hmm. I could be in walking distance of barbecue. Wow. Place. That'd be great. We'll Can see Kansas City, our motto is more barbecue restaurants than gas stations. And some of our <laughs> gas stations have barbecue restaurants. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. Michael, as always, good. Friends, thank you for joining us. This is Faith Seeking Understanding, the episode of Calmly Considered. Uh, and the patron saint of Faith Seeking Understanding University is Anselm of Canterbury, who said, I do not seek to understand that I may believe, but I believe in order to understand. My friends, keep seeking. Have a great day. Goodbye.